only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. It's terrible, I know. I worked all week on a Michael Caine impression. It's all I got. Yeah. And this week it doesn't even figure into anything. Yeah, sorry. Uh, hello, hello, everybody. I'm Pedro. And I'm Meredith. And this is Gritty Reboot. And this week we are doing the second half of the Italian job. Yeah. The we are 2003 taking a look at 2003 version. film featuring uh, Marky Mark, Charlie Theron, Donald Sutherland, Seth Green, Most Deaf, and of course, one Edward Norton. Edward Big Baby Norton. <laughs> We're going to talk about Edward Norton in just a minute. But uh, first, as always, uh, we've introduced ourselves. And uh, you know what? If you want to know a little bit more about us or throw us any questions or anything like that, I want to direct you to the best ways to get a hold of us. Uh, if you're from 1994 and you have AOL, you can uh, send us an email at grittyrebootcast at gmail.com. It's real easy to remember, guys. It's people have email. email. It's, people people it's like great. email. You, you, want, you want the email up front, and so it's up front. But if you want a more modern way to get a hold of us, you can just look for Gritty Reboot at Instagram or TikTok, where I try to post d- daily, but it's usually about three to four times a week. So with that being said, that's easily the best way to get a hold of us and to find out more about us and what we got going on with the show. Yep. So any memories of The Italian Job as it, as it came out and it was released? I just watched it like, you know, I probably... Watched it on TV, probably. I don't know. There's no, no no special story for this movie. I just remember not liking it. I initially missed out on the movie for one reason and one reason only. I didn't care for Marky Mark. I never liked Mark, Mark Wahlberg. I still don't particularly care for Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. Maybe I have a trouble saying Wahlberg. Is Marky Mark is what I call him. Marky Mark. There's literally only been one movie where I've liked him, and that was The Departed, where he was amazing. Oh, I know. Yeah, he's he's great in that. And listen, I don't want to hate him. I, I don't think he's very good in, in a lot of his parts. Oh, sorry, I forgot about Boogie Nights. And I, he's I'm sure Ben Affleck. Yeah, I suppose so. I just, I've never cared for him. Every time I hear him talk, I just don't like him. Whether it's the, you know, the legitimate bad things he's done, like beating that Vietnamese man when he was a kid, and I think he blinded him in one eye. Granted, we all do dumb things when we're young, but that's pretty extreme. And and also his douchebaggy things, like talking about how he'd have been on the plane on 9-11, there wouldn't have been a 9-11. You know, like, that's a legitimate quote from him. Yeah. And, you know, that's a very douchebag thing to say in that, you know, he's not a real hero. He just plays one on TV. Yeah. But be that as it may, he is indeed a leading man in Hollywood, and he's at least not bad. And this is some of his better work as an action leading man, in my opinion. He's all right. Yeah. Now, granted, he doesn't hold the candle to Michael Caine, but I think he is pretty solid in, in, in this role. Yeah, he's no Michael Caine yeah, at all. Doesn't even come close. No. And, and so we talked about this earlier. This came out in the, the year of our Lord, uh, 2003. When I graduated high school. When you graduated high school. That's right. We, we immediately left your high school and went to go see the Italian job in celebration. No. That's not how it that's went. That's not true at all. That's not how it went. So do you know how much the Italian job made? Nope. It grossed $103 million. Which, and yeah, I know it did pretty well. Yeah. So it, this wasn't a hit. It, it wasn't a massive one. To put it in perspective, that was the 21st uh top grossing movie of the year and that's uh you know when you think about it like that's pretty low down the list for something that makes 109 million dollars yeah but do you care what the top five was yeah uh finding nemo classic great pirates of the caribbean i think that's one of the sequels no that's actually the original the curse of the black pearl great uh lord of the rings i think the two towers Mm. the Mm. Mm. (laughs) wow all right this the matrix reloaded that's that's the second one not the third the second one X-Men 2, number 7, Elf, which is like a holiday classic now. 8, Chicago. 9, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Mm. And then 10, Bad Boys 2, the greatest movie ever made. I mean, it's entertaining. It's the greatest movie it's not. ever made. It's not, but... The greatest movie. But yeah, just to kind of put into perspective, like, what came out around that time. You know, this was a little bit of the craze from Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of remake craze. Yeah, the heist. We had the Thomas Crown Affair a couple years earlier, and uh, this was sort of the end of it. And this movie made some money. Uh, it, it did pretty well at the box office. Critics found it pretty solid, to be honest. I think their reviews were more than above average. I think it sits at 71-ish percent. There was going to be a sequel. It just never came to pass. I think they wanted to do the Brazilian job, but just as Hollywood goes, it, it, it didn't really work out that way. And they were going to bring the whole cast back. Sans Ed Norton, obviously. Yeah. Mr. Eddie Norton was was Big not baby. going to go. Do we want to talk about Ed Norton right now? 
Yeah, he's a big baby. He is a large child. Yeah, he um I have some some information on him with what he did on the set. He was basically a whiny baby. He so, didn't want to be there. So yeah, let's talk about him not wanting to be there. So Ed Norton did he a was movie contractually obligated called Primal 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 Fear. Primal Fear. I keep wanting to say Primal Rage. <laughs> I I worked on this before the show. I was like, do not reference that fucking dinosaur fighting game, you jackass. Like my does. Yeah, like the does. But no, he did Primal Fear. I want primal to say it fear. again. Primal Fear. And he signed a three-picture deal, basically, where yeah. he would appear in, in two other movies for Paramount Studios. And Primal Fear got him an Oscar nomination. It was a huge hit. And he was the darling of Hollywood. He was the it guy. Yeah. And so he basically dragged his feet on doing that last movie. And there was some debate about what counted, what didn't. He did a movie with Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro called The Score. And that didn't count, even though uh, that was released by Paramount. They said they only released it, didn't produce it. This is the legal jargon. It's not very important. There was some bad blood between them. And he kept turning down project after project after project until the Italian job script came up. And, of course, he loved it and said yes. No, that's not what happened at all. He did not want to do it. He said no again. But the studio was like, you are not saying no this time. You're doing this movie. And so he was contractually obligated to appear. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily show in the performance, but it's not Edward Norton's strongest work. No. By a long shot. Not at all. I I don't think he sucks or anything like that. Like he's like Harrison Ford not wanting to do the narration in Blade Runner. It's not like that. But he isn't amazing in this movie, to say the least. And And he can be in anything. And he certainly does not appear to give it his all in this one. But he does have a fantastic mustache. Yeah. And uh, he wears a lot of silk shirts. He picked his own wardrobe. Oh, good. Yeah, that was about the only thing I think he contributed to the to the production. But yes, otherwise, he was a big jerk. Do you, do you want to elaborate on any more about that? No, I'll say some more after the show. Okay, yeah, but yeah, that's basically, he, he wasn't really making himself a vital member of the crew, to yeah. say the least. He, he really was a, a jerk to a lot of these members, and it did, didn't really help with the vibe on the set. But everybody else seemed to enjoy working with each yeah. other, oddly enough. F. Gary Gary directs this one. He would go on to, to make some Fast and the Furious movies. You heard about Fast and the Furious 2 was also on the top 10 list. So those movies are around at the time as well. But uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Yeah. This movie starts with someone wrapping up some very expensive jewelry. We get a look at, at some very nice, very nice jewelry. Mm-hmm. I like this opening. And then we have Charlie Theron waking up. And she gets a call from her father, who is played by Donald Sutherland. Yeah, so John, uh, Donald, Donald Sutherland, <laughs> he plays uh, John Bridger in this one, mm-hmm. and he is Charlize Theron's character's father, and her character is a new creation for the movie. Yeah. He tells her he's in Venice, and she's like, what the fuck? What yeah, because he's What are you doing parole. in Venice? Yeah. yeah. On parole. And he hangs up on her, eventually. And that's where he, we see Mark Wahlberg, who plays Charlie Coker. So we are introduced to him here. And oddly enough, like I said, I don't particularly care for Mark Wahlberg, but I found him to be fairly charming here. Yeah. I think he does a nice job in this part. Like I said, it pales comparison to Michael Caine, but I think he does a very good job as a Hollywood action leading man. Jason Statham then shows up and he's... Handsome Rob. Handsome Rob. Rob, pardon me, Handsome Rob. And he's a lot of fun here. This is when Statham could still be a lot of fun in a movie. One of the most talented rapper out there. Yeah. Most deaf is in this movie. Yeah, and he sucks in this. He sucks, but yeah. he's... Most of is not a great actor. He's still a very talented actor. This guy. is a thing they tried to happen. He's in this. He's in... What's that other movie that I, I don't really like? The way He tries. One day. Oh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. He's in that and he sucks. He tries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he does. He does. Then we have Edward Norton. He shows up and he's Steve in this movie. Yeah, he is pretty coded to be the bad guy from the very start of this thing. <laughs> Even as the heist is, is going down. I don't know what Steve's job is. Do you know what Steve... Everyone has a clearly defined job. Moss Def is the, the, the demolitions guy. Handsome Ron's the driver. Yeah, but that's after the first heist. Okay, you know. Yeah, because that's the whole 15 minutes of them. The first 15 minutes of the movie is them doing a, a, a separate heist. Okay, okay. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. In that first heist, like, what is Norton's role? It's their their roles aren't clearly defined. But they not until later. Are. Not until where they're like, and here's this is the demolition man, and this is the fucking wheels man, and this is. Is that your Marky Mark impression? <laughs> yeah. It's like, did, did, why did you just play a clip from the movie for me? It's like he was here in the room. <laughs> 
Okay. Supposed to blow the bloody doors. <laughs> Just a bad impression. That's what the rest of the show will descend into. Continue on. I'm sorry. We have a whole movie to go. We're meeting a lot of characters. Lots and of them. Not really getting any of their names. I had to literally pull up the cast list while I watched this movie to get everybody's names. Now, some names are more clear than others. Yeah, well. Like, you don't know who Mo's Def is until, like, midway through the movie where, what's his face, calls him left, left ear. Left ear. Yeah, because he, he lost hearing. We do. Okay, so I think that's unfair. Straight up, I'll say that's unfair. Because we do get a flashback introduction to all these characters. And we see their names on screen clearly displayed. I, I would, this is one I must of the, have been out of the room. Yeah, I happened. would strongly disagree with what you just said because we get a flashback about why women love handsome Ron because he's Jason Statham. Um, left ear, no relation to left eye. He blew up a toilet when he was a kid and lost all the hearing in his left ear. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and then we get oh, the weirdest cameo ever. Sean Fanning shows up and steals a floppy disk from Seth Green, who from for this point on will be known as This Napster. all happens later, by the way. It does, but... It, you it, don't it, know who... I'm talking about right now, in this movie, yeah. right now. Yeah. You don't know who anybody this is. This is very true, but I do want to mention, they do give an introduction to these characters after this cold open. They do. So we just get to see what these people do, but I'm just mentioning, like we've seen the movie, we know what people do. What I was just wondering is what was Norton's job? Yeah. Like everybody has a job on the crew. Uh, Napster's the computer guy. You know, Norton just is in the building. Yeah. He's a fucking fraud. Okay. Am I a fraud? Steve pours some putty looking stuff. It also looks like diarrhea into a plastic bin. Yeah. I guess he's putting together an explosive of something. Yeah. Yeah. I I like their, their plan here basically, which is to do a fake getaway. Yeah. He's on the phone with Bridger while this whole thing is happening. Handsome Rob and Charlie are in a boat. Mm-hmm. Seth Green is his his name is Lyle and he's on the computer, so he's obviously the computer guy. Or Napster, as he'll later be known. Yeah, Steve's measuring a room and he paints the ceiling with the putty that he mixed together. Yeah, so they they paint the explosive up there and they're they're getting ready to obviously blow something. You don't quite see it together just yet. F. Gary Gray does a nice job teasing like every piece of the robbery before he shows us the whole bit. Yeah, because I, I had no idea what they were doing. I was yeah, like, what the yeah. fuck? Yeah, I, I hadn't really seen it either, so. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't until a little bit later in the scene that I realized, like, oh, this is all just plastic explosive. I didn't realize, like, you can just paint that shit on. I mean, I had no idea either. Yeah. I don't think you can. Probably not. Probably not. You're probably probably right. movie logic, yeah. Yeah, that's stupid. It's movie. okay. There's a lot of things you can't do. You can't drive a gasoline-powered car through subway. Left ear does the same thing, and then he goes to plant the explosives to blow it up. And they basically all escape in boats. There's a yeah. There's a big there's a boat chase boat here. Boat chase. They actually had to get permission from the city to to do that boat chase. Oh, did they? The speed that they were going is was over the speed limit. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So they had to get special permission. I guess that makes sense. You know, you you work in these you know beautiful areas are usually fairly populated. So that's the one thing about film. A lot of people don't take into consideration, but it does make sense though. But yeah, they have this big boat chase, and Statham leads them away. But it's a ruse. Mm-hmm. What what really happened is the safe has dropped all the way to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, and Bridger's down there with a crew, and they're trying to get into it. Yeah, they're cracking the safe underwater. Yeah, it's a pretty cool scene. Yeah, actually, I do like this. It's a neat idea for a robbery. So yeah, uh, this movie has good set pieces put together. I, I think I I think it's going to be pretty clear as we go through here. I like this movie more than you did, and I wasn't really enamored. But I, I think you you're harsh on this. I think yeah, you're I harsh like on this movie. I don't, yeah. I don't like this movie. I find it to be more than acceptable. More than, I mean, about watchable. You no know, Ocean's 11. No, no. It's better than Ocean's 12 or Ocean's 13. Maybe. Or Ocean's 8. Yeah, I, haven't, I don't think I've seen Ocean's 8. And if I have, I, it's bad for that movie. It's a heist, heist film where nothing goes wrong. Yeah. That was the one thing I remember leaving the theater. I was like, did they have any issues in their plan? It just worked, right? Like the whole issue. Well, I guess we'll get into it. We'll talk more about this. Let's go. Keep going. We're not talking about man. There's <laughs> man chasing handsome Rob and Lyle in their boats. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bridger and gang break into a safe, and there's a bunch of gold bars. Yeah, they are still in thirty four million dollars, I believe, in gold bars. Thirty five million. Thirty five million dollars in gold bars, and which, by the way, that is nowhere near enough gold for thirty five million dollars. Yeah. I, I looked it up, and you would need like basically this entire bedroom full of gold to make like. Like forty or fifty million. I have some information. On yeah, that. like they're, they're, I have their raw data. Yeah, there's no way you could transport them in Mini Coopers. But yeah. I digress. It's it is the point. 
They load up the gold bars, and meanwhile, there's a chase. There's some more chase scenes with mm-hmm. handsome Robin Lyle. Yeah, they do. They do milk this chase. Eventually, they all escape, and they end up in the mountains. And it's a beautiful scenic view of the mountains, and like covered in snow. It's really nice. Yeah, there, there is some gorgeous cinematography. I just forgot the name of the director of the cinematography who worked on this movie, but he is a quite notable. And it's uh, oh, it's, it's uh, Wally Pfister. He would go on to do the Dark Knight trilogy. Hmm. He would work with Christopher Nolan quite a bit. So the movie looks gorgeous. Yeah. Both films look great. They all are toasting together their success. And to Charlie, they stole $35 million in gold. So they're all really happy. They're making plans about what they're going to do with the gold. There's a fun little scene between the henchmen. Yeah, they exactly. They talk about what they're going to get. And Norton just doesn't have an idea. just steals theirs. I know Norton has a name, but I'm just going to call him Norton. Steve. Steve. That's his name. Steve Norton. Steve. Steve Norton. It's just Steve. No, it's Steve Norton. <sighs> you want to have a sigh off? They uh, they cross a bridge and two men get in front of them. Ambush. Yep, it's an ambush, and we all know who's the culprit. Yeah, clearly the guy who's coded to be the bad guy is the bad guy. Yeah, Steve pulls uh, Steve, a gun. Yeah, on Steve all um, is our double crosser, and he does indeed a double cross, and he shoots Donald Sutherland. Yeah, he freaking shoots Bridger. Yeah, he shoots kills Bridger right there in front of everybody. And they drive away as the gunshots uh, fire away, but sadly they're unable to make a clean getaway and drive right into the icy depths. Yeah, the icy water below. Yeah, and they they riddle it with bullets. And, and Charlie shows a bit of cleverness here by pushing um, Sutherland's body up to the top mm-hmm. while they use the air from their scuba diver from earlier to keep them all in the car so they yeah. think they all drowned. Steve Norton believes they're all dead. Yeah, he's still as he would be. That I mean, that makes sense. That's that's still firing bullets though. He's yeah, firing like crazy. You, yeah, he's he's making sure. But this is one of those movies where somebody appears to be dead, and I'm like, why would you think he was dead? This movie at least explains that pretty well. It's pretty clear that they would be dead. And then one year later, one year later, hmm. Stella Bridger cracks a safe. She's working for the police, and she's she's like one of the best. Great safe crackers. She's like one of the best legal safe all, crackers there's all ever time. been. Yeah. All those times that people need legal safe cracking, she's the person to contact. She cracks this safe in four minutes and 43 seconds. She cracks the fuck out of that safe. She heads to her office and Charlie is in her office and she's just like, basically, I don't want anything to do with you. You got my dad killed, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. She, she has a, a lot of resentment towards Charlie. And I guess that's fair, to be perfectly honest, for a regular person. You know, her dad was almost on the straight and narrow, and now he's gone because of all the criminal hijinks. So I guess it's a fair assessment for her character. Charlize Theron is is good here. She's always solid in these Hollywood action parts. She's always so good. Yeah, she usually is pretty good in these. Freaking machine. Yeah, she really is. Uh, She was 28 here, I think. She looks great no matter what age. Everybody here looks like a baby. It's a a, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> yeah, he, he, like this is. I was thinking that too. Like, oh, Mark Wahlberg looks so young. I'm used to him, like looking old. Baby Wahlberg. Mark yeah. Wahlberg. Baby Wahlberg. He uh, tells him. He tells her he found Steve, and he can't move on until he gets that guy for sure. And He's he, like a father to him too. And he needs her to crack the safe. Because he has some uncrackable safe. Yeah, some Montgomery. It doesn't even matter. No, it's like a Worthington or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. It has a name like that, but we, we don't even see the safe. Stella thinks about it and decides to join the gang. She wants to steal from Steve because he stole her daddy. I like that. And they give her just enough personal stake. They, they're, you know, the movie could have had a storyline to where, like, she's never been able to crack that safe or something like that. But they, they managed to, to refrain from that. Yeah. And I don't know why I thought that'd be something. Because the other thing that's something is, and I don't know if it's here yet, but most F's character, Leftier, he is afraid of dogs. Yeah. They bring it up like two or three times and there's no payoff. No, there's no, <laughs> there's no, there's no payoff. I, was, I don't even remember that. The whole movie. I was like, the dogs are coming. Like he's going to have to make friends with the dog to like save them in the finale. And then nothing happened. I was like, so why would there, there were two references, you know, the rule of threes. I was waiting for the third reference to come in and it never did. I was waiting for that third one. Why are you flipping me off? Cause I love you. Mm. Mm. Okay. Lyle goes to meet Charlie and Stella and he is the computer. Stella! He's the computer whiz. Left ear shows up and he's a demolition expert. Handsome yeah. Rob is the wheel man. You wrote it down here. This is where they get all those flashback. Yeah. And these are well shot. These are full of a lot of energy. They really help add to the movie. And we do get the strangest cameo ever. The real creator of Napster, Sean Fanning, appears and steals the idea, makes a, a joke of himself from Seth Green. 
who is Napster from this point on. And then I wrote in my notes that I just realized that Stella's driving an old style Mini Coupe. Yeah, it's yeah. It's not the same version as the original the 2003 film, or but it looks right. very similar yeah mini cooper's product placement on this was a pretty spot on the movie the coopers look cool yeah they, they really do they really do they all talk about the plan handsome rob thinks stella's being he doesn't think she's right for the job because he doesn't want to bring in a civilian rob thinks stella's being cocky Oh, cocky. Okay, yeah. There were two issues. He has that issue that he doesn't want to bring in a regular person and he doesn't want to bring in someone who's emotional. But yes, he does think she's being too cocky. As yeah, because well he, he asked, uh, Charlie asked her how long she'll she'll need to crack the safe. And she's like, oh, five minutes. And he thinks she's being a total cocky bitch. They basically have to break into Steve's house to plant bugs. So Left Ear does some surveillance yeah, in advance. Cockroaches, uh, praying mantises. Oh, you, you mean like they're going to... Plant surveillance. bugs, yes. Yeah, okay. Surveillance, Okay, bro. you said bugs. I, I'm, I'm, mo- I'm mocking your notes. Why are you mocking my notes? Because I love your notes the same way I love you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they see Steve. He brings some gold to a guy. He needs to sell the gold, but he yeah, can't so, afford all the bricks he has. Yeah, he's selling, like, the gold bricks to a sketchy pawn shop, dude. Yeah. And this is, like, a Ukrainian dude. And I guess I sort of like the way these scenes are constructed. They give Edward Norton's character a chance to be a little sleazy, which he's good at here. He's good at being pretty sleazy. And I guess I kind of like the the pawn shop broker as well. He seems like a nice guy, even if he is scuzzy. He's Mashoffs or Mashkovs. I forget his name. He, he's the Ukrainian, like, boss, crime boss. Yeah, yeah. He's his uh, cousin, I think. Yeah, yeah. And that will come into play later in the movie. Yeah. Which I think is clever as well. Charlie goes to check on Stella. She's training on a safe in her underwear, basically. Yeah, this is one of my, I, I just love this. Like, she just kind of comes in. Yeah, because like, you oh, even brought it up at the time. I'm sorry, I just was in my underwear working on this safe. <laughs> it was a, a cheap attempt to get a little TNA in the movie. Yeah. And I, it just kind of stuck out to me. I was like, oh, I guess, I guess that's how I, I like to do things as well. I like to practice my profession while also in my sexy underwear. Her sexy black underwear. Black underwear. Yeah. Next day, they have to shut down the cable to Steve's house to send oh. her a pairman in to get the lay of the house. I did want to mention that scene, by the way, that we just mentioned with her in her underwear. Mm-hmm. That's the only hint of a romance in this movie, right? Yeah. Because the only other hint that we get is at the end, right? Yeah. Where I'm like, well, that's forced down our throat. Yeah, it's, it was stupid. Like Marky Mark probably did. No, I can't. I can't accuse somebody of that. That's for Franco next week. Handsome Rob and Lyle look to get a service truck to, and uniform for a company like a cable company so that they can gain access to Steve's house. So handsome Rob goes and starts flirting with this girl, Becky, mm-hmm. who he's trying to get her uniform. And meanwhile, Seth Green's sitting in the car and he's having, he's so funny. Yeah, he really is. He, and he improv that entire scene. No, he's really good. He plays a creepy character, but like, you're not really supposed to root for him. No. So it's, it's fine. Like he, I think he talks about surveilling, like when they do the, the bringing the bug, he talks about, I've been, Keeping track of my girlfriend, ex-girlfriend for three months now, right? Yeah. Like, so he's a scumbag kind of creep, but a likable one, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. Seth Green can find the likability in a character like that. Mm-hmm. And even in 2003, when some of his activities weren't as scuzzy, he's still portrayed as a pretty scuzzy character, so. Well, they knock the cable out at Steve's house, and Kate, Steve automatically notices immediately. Yeah. And he gets his he's got a big TV. He's watching the original film, by the way. Do you notice that? I didn't notice Yeah, that. he's watching the original movie. So the movie exists in this world, even though Marky Mark has the same name. Yeah. So I don't know how that works. That's when they look at it and go, God, this movie is similar to our lives, but like different. Time machine. Yeah, how odd. <laughs> Charlie and everyone are in the fake van with Stella, who's dressed as the cable company person, Becky. The hottest cable person i know yeah that's the one thing i thought like i like, like no wonder edward norton's flirting with her yeah yeah no i thought about this i remember it was like a, a, during the pandemic like <laughs> this woman came up looked like emily radajkowski the the model oh, to, to to deliver my uber order and i like like i had to like double triple take like oh my god it's i just like this six foot woman just came up and handed me my bad time like what the fuck <laughs> and it's like that sort of thing like whoa like and like <laughs> at least like the flirting makes sense yeah. But I would be a little bit weirded out if someone like that gorgeous had a just a regular job like that. I know. Yeah, like, oh, hey. Like your plumbers. Yeah, really that seems odd. But yeah, yeah, she just loves TV and cable. She gets through security and meets mm-hmm. Steve, and she shows her to the modem, and she snoops around a bit. 
she opens a door and she finds a safe immediately. Yeah, yeah, she does. She sees the safe. He kind of escorts her out of there. He doesn't appear to be too suspicious. No, not Honestly, yet. I think he's just horny more than he's suspicious. He hits on her and asks her to dinner. Yeah, and that's why I say that, because he, he really doesn't try to really do anything besides, you know, take her out. She gets out of there and is a little rocked because that's the guy that killed her dad. Yeah. They got to get the gold. It's six. They got to get the gold. To the, the getaway vehicle. Uh-huh. So they test this with mini coops. And this is where we get the whole. Yeah, this is where the idea comes into play. He's, you know, uh, Charlie saw the Mini Cooper that she has, and he realized it's the vehicle that'll let them drive through the house. Yeah, and so he gets three Mini Coops and asks a guy to modify them to carry the weight of the gold. Wrench. Yeah, Wrench. Yeah, we get a character here, Wrench, an extra member of the crew. He doesn't really figure in much, but mm-hmm. he does come into play a little bit more. But he does modify the vehicles. And I think the one thing I really like about this, and I know I'm getting just slightly ahead, is none of this matters. They have a whole practice sequence here where they like set up like an indoor training facility where they can practice the run of driving through the house. Yeah. You know, it's a sort of reference to what's in the original movie, but none of it matters, which I th- I've, I've kind of like actually. They test the three mini coops. Steve goes back to the man and he, he's trying to sell the gold bars too. And the guy recognizes the gold bars because they have like this lady on it. I can't yeah, remember what's missing gold from Vienna. Yeah. He's able to spot. There's a ballet dancer. On Something like that. And he just says, oh, Vienna. Like, just he just, it just kind of dawns on him like that. And he realizes he said, shut up. But sadly, it's too late for him as yeah. immediately Steve Norton kills him. Steve Norton. Steve Norton kills him. Ugh. He says, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And then he turns Wrong green movie. and Wrong he grabs movie. him. And then he locks him out of the editing room. Wrong. Combined like three. Wrong. Is that, is that wrong? So, no, he just, he kills the guy. I don't know if he shoots him or, or yeah, he shoots him. And he takes the gold and the money. Mm-hmm. So this will come into play later, which I, I like. He does a really despicable thing here, and it leads to his undoing later on in the film. Charlie and Leftier go visit Skinny Pete for the explosives. And Skinny Pete is an ironic name yes. because it's like a six foot seven. Five hundred pound guy. Yeah. Huge guy. Huge guy. Yeah, big like old this dude. This little tiny girl yeah. by his side. Like Jabba the Hutt. And- yeah, it is like Jabba. Yeah. yeah. What it reminded me of. He goes to talk to Mark Mike. Ooh, like kinda woozahik. He doesn't do that. No. He doesn't do that. That would be copyright infringement. George Lucas might sue me. I'm sorry, Disney might sue me. Maybe. Maybe. Fuck you, Disney. It's going to cost them $5,000, which is not too bad for explosives. Yeah, I know, honestly. But I think the Joker said gasoline explosives are cheap. Mask off is the guy that we're talking about, the Ukrainian boss. Yeah, he's the Ukrainian mob boss who's kind of hovering sort of around the periphery of the film. He goes to visit Skinny Pete with an axe because he's asking about the gold bars. And I I like this element of the screenplay because it sort of introduces this other threat to the movie, and you would sort of believe that he is going to be a large threat for our characters. But that's not, we find out later, that's not entirely what this is. It's sort of a, a misdirect. So they try to put their plan into action, but they have to scrap it because the neighbors are throwing a big rager. Yeah, so this becomes the first like kink in their plan where they're going to have to do something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So Stella has to go on a date with Steve. So she... This, this date is, um, it's a much better version of like, do you remember the dinner scene in the Chris Pine, Jack Ryan movie? Where yeah. we were waiting for like him to realize that she was fake. You know, this movie gets this scene across pretty quickly. Like, I know you don't particularly care for this movie, but it has a fairly tight Hollywood screenplay. Yeah, it takes some liberties with logic here and there. But for a Hollywood screenplay, things play into one another. Things generally make sense. They go from point A to point B. And that, that much I do like. This scene goes south when he realizes that she is what's-his-face's daughter. Yeah, she says some phrase that he normally said, and she he's automatically like, I, I thought it was. You know, a pretty, I only know one guy that's ever said that. I thought it was a fairly casual phrase. Yeah, I yeah. did too. It was pretty inert. Yeah, it's like when I heard it, I was like, was that the phrase? Really? I was like, okay. And I didn't write it down. I should have. And neither did you. But and it, no, it just, I didn't. Yeah, it was just one of those things where he, he realizes it's her, and he grabs her arm, and she knocks over the wine bottle, which is the sign to the crew. Yeah. Charlie and Ron come out, and they have a confrontation. Charlie talks some shit to Steve, and Charlie ends up punching him in the face. Yeah, he gives a great speech. It was in the trailer that I, I didn't play. doesn't matter. <laughs> that, where he says, like, you just gave up your best deal. The, be- the element of surprise. Now I'm going to see you coming. And then he punches him in the face. He's surprised, but he, he is right. They lost the element of surprise. Eventually, Stella and Charlie talk about Bridger. 
and they get word that Steve is looking to move the safe to Mexico City. Yeah, he's immediately springing into action. Charlie's plan is to boost the gold in transit to LAX. So this is the thing that I do like about the movie is their entire plan, what they were going for, has completely been sabotaged. There's no way they're going to be able to pull it off now. So they're going to have to improvise and do other things. And it comes together maybe a little bit too quickly, but I do like that they try something else. And yeah, they kind of repeat what we'd seen before, but I think... It's mostly Hollywood clever, (laughs) you know, for a heist movie. Mm -hmm. And I think most of the set pieces are pretty inventive and the stunts are pretty great from this point on as we get into the actual robbery. They put their new plan into action and moving out. Moving out. Moving on out. They discover Steve is moving the gold, but has two armored cars as additional decoys. So they don't know which car is on. It's the one that they need to target. Yeah. They find a truck 128 is a truck that they have to target. Because yeah, so that, the that wheel will. Yeah, they're able to analyze will. the wheel height. Yeah. Because it's holding all the gold. They find the one that's riding the lowest, and that's the one that, they, that they're able to spot. So already Norton's plan has fallen apart a little bit as he is in a helicopter. He doesn't give a shit about any LA regulations. He's flying a helicopter all around, all over the vehicles. It's really something. Napster or Lyle shuts down the routes. The truck would take just like the original movie. They use the same kind of traffic jam idea and it works pretty well. He shuts down traffic headquarters. Yeah. And then the mini coops take off. They direct the traffic to where they want it to be while wrench sets uh, the trap in motion. Yeah. Lyle shuts down the subway system. So the mini coops can get through the tunnels. Mm -hmm. They blow up the armored car in the tunnel and start safe cracking. Yeah. They drop it down just the the, the same way. Same safe. Yeah. So the the safe thing that we talked about earlier doesn't come into play because we do find a different safe and we know that it has a glass pane, so it can only be drilled the one time. And if the glass shatters, you can never, ever unlock the safe again. So we, we have the stakes being set up and then she goes to do it. And then she, she goes through her normal routine. She drills it and it doesn't work. Yeah, she cracks the glass. She cracks it, but it does not shatter. No. So it's able to stay in place. She only has to use her hand. So she gets real serious. She strips down to her underwear as she prefers to work. No, she doesn't. She does not. But wouldn't that par for the course? She should be in her underwear for every safe cracking, right? You would like that, wouldn't you? I would. Oh, I would like that. The movie would hold to its own logic. I'd love it. And also Charlie staring in her underwear. I'm not really attracted to Charlie staring in that way, sexually like Uh in that way. Yeah. But she is just gorgeous. Yeah. She's like a statue. She, she is. She's, she doesn't move. She's made of marble. Um, she's eight feet tall. She's great spokesman for Jador. Yes, I know. You've mentioned this before. Are you working for Jador? <laughs> are, you, are we getting sponsorship from Jador? I love perfume. Please sponsor us, Jador. I, yeah. I will also wear your That's perfume. That's some fucking expensive ass perfume. Is it? Because I looked it up. Oh, really? Yeah, because that commercial got me. Yeah, I know. I remember the commercial. I do remember yeah. that, yeah. Anyways. So, yeah, um, so she has to crack the safe, and she does, even though the one thing I like is she's moving around and has really loud, like, click noises that you could hear. Mm-hmm. But anyway, she does crack it. She's able to succeed, and they get all the gold out. The, well, the motorcycle uh, bodyguards are in hot pursuit of them. The Mini Coop stunts aren't as cool in this movie. No, no, they're not, but everything's practical. The helicopter catches up to the Mini Coops, and The helicopter I will say, shit is super cool. The helicopter stuff was all done Practically. Absolutely. You can fucking tell because yeah. it would have looked very different had they done it digitally. Mm-hmm. It looks great. And there's a particularly dangerous stunt where, you know, they go through all this, you know, but I did want to mention they make like a cloth slide to get all the gold into the back of the Mini Coopers. I don't know why I found that the most clever part of their plan. I know. I thought of that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just, it made me laugh when I was like, what a brilliant idea. I was thinking, well, do those trucks like come installed with something like that on the side? You know, like how does that work? I don't know. I guess you just carry it. You don't use a forklift to carry the gold. How do, do they you? think about that? Well, I guess they use a forklift to carry the gold in Die Hard 3. That's super heavy. Yeah. It's super You're transporting like $100 million. So then you, you would need, you know what? It's not important. Yeah. You know what? Actually, <laughs> screw talking about the movie. Let's discuss how to properly move gold. That's what I think our fans really want to talk about is money movement like that. Literal moving of money. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they, they take off and they drive through the, the sewer system, right? And by the way, they had to build special Mini Coopers for that. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. They, they were the first electric Electric Mini, mini Coopers. Coopers. Yeah. They had to build them because there's an ordinance that you cannot use any gasoline-powered vehicle in the subway system. Yeah, it's it. This is all shot on location in, in L.A., which I know might seem weird. I think that's odd, but it's just not something that's really done today. And it, but really, it does look great. But yes, they go through the city. Actually, 
Steve crashes the helicopter. Yeah, and that, he steals a Bronco. That's what I wanted to talk about. He chases is, after. Them. Is there's this great stunt where he's chasing after Charlie, and he goes under a bridge, and he thinks that's going to save him, and they dip a real helicopter mm-hmm. under the bridge, and it looks amazing. Because, like, Charlie's trying to reverse and get around him, and the helicopter is sliding back and forth, hovering over the ground. It looks so imposing because it's actually real. Mm-hmm. And, like, when he drives to the side, like, it's a legitimate helicopter moving to try to hit him with its rotor blade. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, it's a real hit on the rotor blade. Granted, it's a doctor, you know, just end of the of a, a tail of a helicopter. But it looks fantastic. Everything about that scene is really great. And that, that is the helicopter crash. He's down and on the ground, and he is able to hijack a car GTA style. Yeah. And continue the, this pursuit. Smashkoff shows up Mashkoff. mad that Steve killed his cousin and stole his money. He's freaking pissed. He wants retribution. And this is where Stella gets to punch Steve. And they all make a nice toast to John Bridger uh, on a train. Handsome Rob got his Aston Martin. Left Ear got his house in Spain. Lyle made the cover of Wild Magazine and mm. got a sound system that blew the clothes off a girl. Okay, so first off, and Charlie we're, ended up with Stella. We're gonna get back and, and talk about a couple of things, but I want to talk about the stereo that blows her clothes off because we don't see it. We on, we only see Seth Green's reaction, right? <laughs> and so he has the stereo, and he gets Jason Statham's real life girlfriend, by the way, at the time. So he gets her to stand in front of it, and then like he plays this, this this noise, and we just see his like reaction as she screams. And I'm like, so if that was like loud enough to blow her clothes off, it's like her skin okay? Yeah, like, right. <laughs> she's like ah, <laughs> like she's she's just a bloody spot on the wall. Oh shit, too loud. Like maybe, maybe he's just a psychopath. Little do I know, and this is his horrible killer plan. I don't know. Everything about that just made me very much chuckle. That this is like the only thing he really wants in the world is to buy a stereo powerful enough to blow a woman's clothes off. Yeah, it's stupid. Yeah, I would just buy multiple, multiple naked women. Or just, you know, try to get a life. Yeah, yeah. Or naked women. Or, Either way. Or, na- or, or sex workers. Or sex workers. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Same difference. Naked yeah. people. Yeah. So, yeah, the other thing I want to mention about this ending is Charlie and Stella end up together. Mm-hmm. And there's almost none of that in the movie. Nope. Like, it's just kind of shoehorned in right at the end. And I- I've seen worse shoehorns in a movie. We've talked about this before. But it's just not really there, and I don't think it was necessary or needed. Mm-hmm. Like, them holding hands for the first time, I think, could have been appropriate for the end of the movie. But to know that they're romantic, it just feels strange to me. Yeah. It doesn't really work, and I think it just doesn't add to the movie, sadly. I think it kind of takes away from it. Yeah, all in all, I found this movie to be lackluster. It was a movie. It had a, be- a beginning, a middle, like and an end. It's, it's a watchable film. I, I don't think it's anything particularly special. But there is some really well done car chases in this movie. I think there is not some, as good as the original. Not as good as the original. I think the originals are original sequences are a little more clever, and they bleed with a lot more personality than this film has. But this film had the helicopter. It does. So I certainly think both movies are worth watching. I'd obviously recommend that you watch the original movie. I gave that a nine last week. I think I'd give this a seven. I think this is an incredibly competent. Hollywood I give it a action five. movie. A five. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a little harsh, but I can certainly see how the movie's lack of personality could do that. Things I don't like in a movie like Marky Mark, he was good. He really was. He was really solid in this movie. They kept the pace going. There were some dumb things in it, but they didn't dwell on those long enough for me to dwell on them. So all that being said, as a Hollywood film, it's pretty solid. If they'd have made another one, I, I probably would have seen it. But, you know, like I said, this is my first viewing of it. So I, I did come away enjoying it, just not as much as I enjoyed the original movie. They did have a sequel written. The Brazilian Job, yeah. Yeah, but it I just, didn't go anywhere. Yeah, I just, they all it, were it, attached to it, too. Yeah, except Ed Norton, obviously. But the thing about it was, it's just, it's just one of those scheduling things, and then things come up, different movies come into play. And it got pushed out of the way just for the simple fact that it just never really lined up. Yeah. It wasn't that they didn't want to do it or they didn't actually have anything or there wasn't financial incentive. It just didn't happen because of schedules. Here's a bit of trivia for you. The principal actors in the movie did most of the stunt driving themselves. While all of the principals needed stunt driving lessons, Mose Def, who is from New York City, needed a little bit more work because he didn't have a driver's license at the onset of production. Yeah. Do you, you know who was given the most amount of driving to do? Most driving training? Most have. Well, you know who was assigned the most driving training? No. Charlie Theron was. Oh, I heard she was a natural. 
Yeah, and that was the thing about it. She was actually really pissed off. So she had set out to say, like, they're going to give me the most training. I'm a better driver than any of these guys. And she did end up being by far the best driver yeah. out of all the actors. And uh, she was rather offended that they thought that she would need the extra training. So Jason Statham said that in addition to the stunt driving course they all received, he got two days with Damon Hill, the British ex-world champion Formula One driver. All of the cast members acknowledged that Charlie Theron was easily the best driver. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a like a joke on set that how much better she was than anybody else. Yeah. There were no visual effects used for the scene with the helicopter, which we talked about. Mm-hmm. And it very much looks a 2003 effects could do a couple of things, but they wouldn't have held up great in the real world. So the movie just looks really good because of that. Same thing, it's also shot in 35mm film, too early for digital cinema. Lyle South Green claims he was the creator of Napster, the first online file sharing service for music, and that it was stolen by his college roommate, Sean Fanning. In the flashback of Lyle sleeping with, with and his roommate taking the dish, the disc out of the PC that has Napster on it, his roommate is portrayed by the real Sean Fanning. Yeah, it's a real dude. The legitimate creator of Napster. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of talked about that. I, I did, yeah, I did. I, I spotted it in the second he was there, because we were talking about him on Social Network the other day. Edward Norton made it clear his participation in this film was a result of contractual obligation, not choice. <laughs> made he, it very clear. Yeah, and three movie deals with Paramount. He kept dismissing scripts until Paramount coerced him into this film. Norton did not hide his misery on set, clashing with the crew throughout it. When the producer handed out gifts to the cast over the strong box office performance, Norton returned the gift with a note stating, Give this to someone you actually like or someone who actually likes you. What a bitch move. Yeah, yeah. When I, I heard that, you know, I can understand him returning the gift, but, you know, a thanks but no thanks. But to say that somebody actually likes you, it really is like a petty move. He's a big baby. Yeah, yeah. It certainly hasn't made me look fondly upon Ed Norton. But Ed Norton has been known for locking the director of uh, American History X out of the editing bay so he could, I guess, give his cut. He did the same thing on the on The Incredible Hulk which is why he's no longer in the MCU. So it's not really how that works. Yeah. So he, he does have a reputation for that, but he is an incredible actor. I do want to say that. 32 mini coops were used throughout the shooting of this movie. I'm not surprised. You'd go through a lot of them. Here is some facts about gold. Okay. Bear with me. Okay, gold. The value of the stolen gold is listed as $35 million in 2003. When the film was released, gold prices range from around 320 to 420 per ounce. At an average price of $370 per ounce, $35 million in gold would weigh just shy of three tons at 5,912 pounds. So that's 5,912 pounds that would need to fit between three mini coops. There ain't fucking no yeah, way. No, you, would, you would need a truck to move that yeah. kind of gold. You need a box Die truck. Die Hard has that covered in, in the garbage trucks. Yeah. Which is why that guy got a visit from the FBI, because his robbery would work, and this one wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, reviews for this movie. 4.3 user review, 72% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 7 out of 10 on IMDb. And I have for you a one-star review of this movie. Since it got rated pretty well, I wanted to find somebody who disliked it. You would. So you I have did. someone who could agree with you. Yeah. This guy named his review one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. Smiley, un, unsmiley face. Unsmiley face or, yeah. or frowny face. Unsmiley. Unsmiley. Don't you unsmile at me. <laughs> I was really looking forward to this movie. I like slick heist movies, i.e. Ocean's Eleven, Good Thief, etc. And I think this is a great cast. But be warned, there's a reason that Edward Norton didn't want to do this movie, and it's very obvious about two minutes in. First off, the dialogue is terrible. Very funny. Funny interactions are actually, very few funny interactions are actually interesting. Seth Green imitating Jason Statham is a notable exception. The director, who has done no, nothing noteworthy since Friday, clearly didn't care if there was any chemistry on screen or if the words coming out of the actor's mouth actually fit their characters. He just wanted all the words in there. At one point, a Ukrainian does a whole routine about how the CIA rigged the 2000 election. Why even keep that in there? Most of the characters have cute nicknames, which just makes the whole script seem even more forced. In the first 20 minutes, you are hit over the head repeatedly about the relationship between Marky Mark and Donald Sutherland so that you know he'll be dead before the second act. Obviously, there is a romantic relationship that suddenly blossoms between Sutherland's daughter, Theron, and Marky Mark, 
Like you couldn't see that coming before you even walked into the theater. That's fair. Speaking of which, Theron clearly filled out, filled in for Angelina Jolie, playing exactly the same role that Jolie played in Gone in 60 Seconds. There are several points in the movie where she is vulnerable, maybe trying to show more range than Jolie. And in each of those scenes, when Wahlberg comforts her, I think it's supposed to be confronts her, or says, you can do it, I thought I was going to puke. <laughs> Worst offender of all is Norton, who sleepwalks through one of the least complex characters he's ever played. There are all sorts of continuity problems within the movie, and several characters are introduced and then grossly underused. Yeah. There's a 400-pound Samoan-looking dude who may have been an interesting character if we saw him for more than two minutes. That's not his movie. Every plot twist is predictable. 30 minutes in ahead of time, every funny part is given away in the trailers, except some of Seth Green's screen time, and everyone is dragged down by the poor script and direction. Stay away from this film. Well, I certainly wouldn't say this film was poorly directed. No, it has a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, and F. Gary Gray has gone on to direct a ton of big hit movies, so that's not really a valid critique, I wouldn't say. And uh, this was written at the time by one of uh, Hollywood's premier screenwriting couples. Yeah. So it, it is what it is. It's just a little lifeless movie. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not arguing that point at all, really. It's just, it's just. That's not, why I have to give it. Not a hill I'm dying on. I have to give it a five. Yeah. It's, it's right down the center. Yeah, I will agree. I wish that it had the, the character and personality of that original movie, but yeah. that's just not how it works. I recommend the original. Oh, shit. Oh, yes, that's right. But in I'm hungry. Of, but in the year. <laughs> Shut up! But in the year of our Lord 2003, Roger Ebert was very much alive! And he did review this movie. Do you think Roger Ebert liked this movie? No. Oh, he did. He did? He did. Three stars. Wow. Three stars. That's right. Ebert gave this movie three stars. He was a big fan of it. Yeah, and that's about it, really. I mean, like, Ebert loved the movie, so I was unable to find a clip from the show. I thought I had one, but it was uh, an invalid link by the time I got a chance to watch it. So I just have his written review. I saw The Italian Job in Chicago's screening room in the midst of a rush of new summer releases. I recollect it now from the Cannes Film Festival, which has assembled one undurable film after another for its worst year in memory. That doesn't make The Italian Job a better film, but it provides a reminder that we do, after all, sometimes go to the movies just to have a good time and not to be mired in a slaw of existential despond. Don't get me wrong. I like a good mire in a despond now and then. It's just that the despond at Cannes has been so unadmirable. F. Gary Gray's The Italian Job, on the other hand, is nothing more or less than a slick caper movie with a stupendous chase scene and a truly ingenious way to steal $35 million in gold bars from a safe in a Venetian palazzo. Palazzo. The safe is stolen by a gang led by Donald Sutherland, who must be relieved to note that Venice has no dwarfs in red raincoats this season. You don't get that joke. Nope. His, <laughs> his confederates include Charlie, Mark Wahlberg, a strategic mastermind, second-in-command Steve, Edward Norton, the computer whiz Lyle, Seth Green, the getaway driver, Handsome Rob, Jason Statham, and left ear, most deaf, who can blow up stuff real good. Don't check your watch. You'll eat in a minute. Dude, give Roger his time, all right? Roger Ebert died for our movie-going no, sins. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. He died, but no, he didn't yeah, for he, our he, sins. He, He's not Jesus. <laughs> After a chase through the canals of Venice, which in real life would have led to a loss of six tourist uh, gondolas... Gondolas. 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 <laughs> when I read that word, I was like, that is not how that is pronounced. <laughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> led, led to the loss of six tourist gondolas. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> led to the loss of six tourist gondolas and the drowning of an accordion player. The Confederates go to an extraordinary amount of trouble to meet with the gold in the high Alpine Pass, apparently undisturbed since Hannibal. I have no idea how hard it is to move $35 million in gold from Venice to the Alps with Interpol looking for you. Or for that matter, how hard it would be to move it back down again. But golly, it's a pretty location. After betrayal and murder, the action shifts to Los Angeles. Think of the overweight baggage charges. Wahlberg and company who have lost the gold are determined to get it back and enlist Sutherland's daughter, Stella, Charlize Theron, who is a safecracker, a legal one, until they enlist her. Stella drives a bright red Mini Cooper, which is technically important to the plot, 
Eventually, there is a fleet of three that the crooks in the original Italian job also drove Mini Coopers is one of the few points of similarity between the two films. Good job that Mini Cooper was reintroduced in time for product placement in this film. Actually, that's unfair. They need Mini Coopers because their size allows them to drive through very narrow spaces. Although they have no idea how handy the little cars will become when they drive down the stairs and onto the tracks of the Los Angeles subway system. They're also handy in traffic jams, and there are nice sequences in which traffic lights are manipulated by Seth Green's character, who, ele- who hilariously insists that he is the real inventor of Napster, which was stolen by his roommate while he was taking a nap, thus the name. There are a couple of nice dialogue touches. Edward Norton is not the first actor to say, I liked him right up until the moment I shot him, but he is certainly the latest. The ending is suitably ironic. This is just a movie for two hours of mindless escapism on a relatively skilled professional level. If I had seen it instead of Can's entry, The Brown Bunny, I would have wept with gratitude. (laughs) Okay, so um, do you know what that Brown Bunny joke is in reference to? Nope. So uh, Vincent Gallo was a filmmaker, and he made a movie called Buffalo 66, which got good reviews. Then he followed up with The Brown Bunny that Roger Ebert absolutely hated. And it led to a feud between the two men, where Vincent Gallo would say really nasty things about Roger Ebert. Ebert would remind him how shit his film is. And this was the beginning of that feud at that festival. Just wanted to know that that was when that occurred in 2003. I've seen The Brown Bunny. Uh, it's notable for having a hardcore uh, blowjob scene between the director Gallo and his then-girlfriend Chloe Seveny. Very well. But that is about it, even though I'm pretty sure it's a stunt cock. But yeah, that is The Italian Job. So that, that that's it for this one. We we wrap up another classic movie and its adaptation. And it's a uh, um, reboot. It's reboot. Yeah. Is the reboot gritty? Not particularly. No. Not particularly. Doesn't have teeth. No, not not really. But I don't think that's really what they were going for. They were just trying to remake this movie. And I think they did a co- more than competent job. I did like the remake, but I did love the original film. Yeah, I love the original. Yeah. And I, I think with that being said, they're both a recommend for me. I know you only recommend the one, but even then, you, you really don't despise this movie. No, I've seen worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's not really a, a great <laughs> point of pride either. But yeah, yeah. So it's a... Uh, it's solid. It's solid. I, I, I recommend it. Just to see Mostef. That's not true. He's not the best part of this. What are we doing next week? I don't know just yet. We, we have a lot of options open to us. We can always talk about Coin of Scotsi. We're not going to talk about Coin of Scotsi. No. You going to do Wyatt Earp, Tombstone? You going to talk about two similar movies? Huh? Yeah, we can do something like that. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I, the problem with having to see Wyatt Earp again, but I would be curious how it's aged because Tombstone is aged brilliantly and people love that movie. Yeah, because it's a badass movie. You tell him I'm coming and hell's coming with me. Love it. That was a lot of notable. Yeah, there's a lot of Charlton Heston's in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So the other one has Kevin Costner and Gene Hackman making sweet love. That's not true. I haven't seen White Earp in a long time, but I'm pretty sure there's not a lot of gay sex in it. But you never know. You never (laughs) know. You do knows. Maybe that's why it bombed. Think of all those people that went wanted to see a cowboy movie when they went to see. Yeah, just it was like, like, yeah, we're yeah. just going to get some cowboys on the Yeah, range. just two men bonding. Look at that, how close these guys are. Man, they're real close, like brothers. Like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what a fun time. I don't like that movie, not because it's got two gay guys in it. But because, yeah, you don't care for it. Yeah. Because it's just such a stupid movie. I love that movie. It's great. I really do. I love yeah. that movie. I've, I've seen it in a long time. I really should watch it again. I really should, because it has been many years since I've seen it. Probably at least a decade. Yeah, at it's least. been a while for me, too. Yeah. Maybe I might like it now. Maybe we'll do it right after this. That was a death stare, gentlemen. A death stare. With that, I, I got to get out of here. You, you guys, and, and you guys enjoy yourself. Bye.